Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Wendy Bowlesby and Melissa Kirscher. Listeners to Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am Melissa and I am joined as always by Wendy. And the two of us are here for the final Fantastic Fest 2017 episode. So we have like six movies left we haven't talked about because god damn it, you're going to hear about all of them. All of them. All, well, all, all, well, the, all the ones, ones we, we saw. saw. We saw. We saw. Um. <laughs> So um, uh, let's start first, as we have been, by telling some random stories. So sure, the close, like I said in a previous episode, Fantastic Fest finally felt like Fantastic Fest for me on the last day. Yeah, and I'm so glad. If I had not gotten that last day, it would have, it would have been like, oh, hmm, it wasn't a hmm. But like the fact that I got that, like I got to show up and see three excellent films in the company of people I like that. All three of the films like delivered the goods for me in different ways, and I got to have good conversations about those films because we finally all talked out all the other shit. Yeah, that we could just talk about films, and I got to like have a drink with a friend in the bar and mm-hmm. just be like, "Yay, we're awesome!" And then, and then go to the best closing night party. Yeah, it's it, it, I, the the first year I was here, the the closing night party was actually really really epic and it was fantastic, like you know, fantastic fest. But since then, all of the the fantastic closing night parties have been you know varying. Success. There's always something to enjoy about them. Yeah, but like last year was a bit of an uh, administrative clusterfuck. Yeah, and that was a letdown. But this year was a really solid little party. First off, it was in a hangar, a movie studio hangar yeah so there was plenty of space like mm-hmm. i never felt claustrophobically cramped and yep. and because of that it also meant that while it was loud it never was overwhelmingly loud yeah yeah and uh and you could walk outside easily and you could get to the bar easily like there and they had enough bartenders to where you could just walk right up and get a beverage mm-hmm. and um they had food they had a little arcade going with the they, fender and skee ball they had um, a photo booth. They had a photo booth. They had a little mini cinema. Uh-huh. They had ice cream shots made with liquid nitrogen ice cream. Yep. They had a little swing ride that you could ride on, like a carnival ride. That they was had, bizarre. They had the tiny cinema. Yes, that's the the tiny cinema. Yeah, yeah. And and, uh, and t- free tattoos. And this year, I won the lottery for a free tattoo. Now, listeners. You can choose to stand in line and hope that they get to you. You can always choose to try to get a free tattoo. But the reality is then what you're choosing to do is stand in line for the whole party. And that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, that sucks. So winning the tattoo lottery means that you don't have to wait in line and you still get a free tattoo. And I won this year in the lottery. So I got my very first tattoo at Fantastic Fest this year. Mm-hmm. And Melissa held my hand. And I, I did. Have, I have a little flying saucer now. Mm-hmm. It's very cute. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually like when I saw the designs this year I'm like I actually like want the tattoo this year I think that flying saucer is cute the bat's good too oh but the knife 
So I actually had some choices there. So yeah, um, tattoos, by the way, listener, they hurt. They do. They, they, they do. They hurt. And then they itch like a motherfucker for a couple weeks. And then, then yeah. you're fine. Melissa's been watching me just kind of constantly tap at the tattoo throughout all of these recordings. Because mm-hmm. can't, you can't scratch. So I'm just can't tapping scratch. it constantly like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> um, Yeah, so that was fun. The tattoo artist was really fun. Yeah, he, he was really great. And because I wanted it on my upper shoulder in the front. And he's like, do you want to... Like, how comfortable are you with your modesty? Do you want it? And I'm just like... <laughs> she just rips her shirt off. I'm like, here, just there. And he's like, do you want me to take my shirt out of, off too out of solidarity? I'm like, do whatever pleases you. I don't need it. <laughs> um, so yeah, and it, it's super tiny. It took like three minutes. Um, and, I'm, and I'm very happy. Mm-hmm. I was very happy to get it. And it really was just a really, like, that's a fantastic fest moment. It is. I got a free tattoo. And then and then Ichio showed up. And then fucking Ichio. So so dear <laughs> listeners, the closing night party was centered around a band that came in and started playing at midnight named Ichio. Now Ichio has appeared at Fantastic Fest several years before. Yeah, in and, in smaller versions. They are a 32 person ensemble. Yeah. And they've brought previously like maybe six to ten and done it in the highball and the highball has been crazy crowded while they were in there what itchio is is it's an occult themed marching band with a daft punk sensibility yeah yeah, very electronica middle eastern mexican occultish uh, you never very, get to see their faces. You never get to see the faces. They're all in in masks of some sort and hats and and blinking lights. And um, half of the band members are up in front like a drum line, and a lot of the other band members are in the crowd and weaving through the crowd with various other instruments. Like one of them has a theremin, and one of them is on a bicycle with various uh, things. A, a keyboard. There's some women uh, who just come through and are like spooky dancing with people. Yeah. One guy who comes around and hugs you. Yeah. Um, there. I think and, the hugger guy also crawls through people's legs. And he's got the puffer. He's got the air blower. Yeah, the air blower is super great. And there, there's a guy with a fire extinguisher that fires the fire extinguisher over the crowd and it's nice and refreshingly cool because when they start playing it's a thumping beat and it's like you have to you have to move you have to move it's so it it gets very warm you're just dripping sweat and the guy comes around with the the fire extinguisher oh blessed cold (laughs) please hit me with a fire extinguisher again like it's really exciting yeah really good and I was sweating so much my band-aid came off my tattoo and then I'm like holding on my band-aid while I'm still dancing around. So yeah, great. and you were kind of hanging out around on the fringes and I'm like, hi, Wendy. I'm plunging back in again and I dive back into the crowd. And uh, I found a spot like right near the stage uh, on the other side where it was actually less crowded because like the people had been congregating mostly by the door. But what was really funny by the end of the performance once i got over there um i'm i'm dancing and dancing and there's a woman there and i'm kind of dancing with her because she's there and then she smiles and i go oh shit that's zoe bell (laughs) 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 oh my god i've been dancing with zoe bell i've been dancing with zoe bell that woman is ripped (laughs) yeah Dear Lord, her shoulders. Well, the reason where I was, listeners, is I found a picnic bench that I could stand on so I could see. Mm-hmm. And um, and one of the things that was so delightful with Fantastic Fest and the vibe this year was 
like about three different times, a dude got on the other side of the picnic table and was standing, which because they wanted to be higher up. And they would be in front of me and they'd be blocking my view. And all I had to do is be like, uh, hmm, oi. And they'd turn around and be like, oh, shit, never mind. And they'd hop down. Thank you. <laughs> I'm up here because I literally can't see anything unless I'm up here. Mm-hmm. You're just up here because it's a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Like, nah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Damn, oh, it's so much good dancing. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah. And then after, and after then- a whole bunch of itch.io which after all of the stress like to dance it out just felt so good and then we finally had el pancake it was time finally for el pancake so we went to gyms we had pancakes we ran we, into people we knew there ran into christina and yep. her boyfriend yep and that was super fun so we we totally had breakfast foods at four in the morning <laughs> like you do like you do and so the therapeutic pancakes and then home. home and and sleep. It was lovely. It was uh, home lovely. and sleep until about 6 a.m. where I had to get up and go to work. My life sucks. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I, I didn't sleep in that much longer than yeah. you did. But So that anyway. was the, Yeah, like, listeners, it, if you ever hear the words itch.io, just go. Yeah, just, it, it's an experience. It is an immersive, amazing, foggy experience like they have their own like battle banner that they come marching in with <laughs> yeah they they come in like a full parade it's well enormous we knew it was starting and remember we were way over by um the ice cream and suddenly just this guitar um constant hum yeah electric guitar like a call to arms yeah that's yeah. when you're like oh my god it's like a call to arms i'm like that's exact like pay attention people it's about to get on yeah and like everybody's like oh Oh, and they start gathering, and they start gathering, and then suddenly you turn around, and like, here they come. They come marching in. Oh, it was amazing. With, oh. with, a, with like, a Chinese dragon. Sort yeah. Of, a two-person puppet sort of thing. And yeah, it was, it was so cool. It was so cool. It was so cool. Yeah, yeah, Chiyo. And like I said, I've seen them several times at Draft House, but um, this was the first time we'd seen the whole band yeah that was the first time they brought in the entire band oh and a tesla coil and a tesla coil suspended from the ceiling yeah at one point we were gestured to get down on our knees and worship (laughs) yeah and like everybody was told to like get down and like raise their hands up to the tesla coil and and they turn on the tesla coil and lightning shoots across the ceiling and and it was just like (laughs) by the way seeing that from the fringes that was sort of amazing i'm like Oh shit! This isn't a cult at all. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That's kind of wonderful to watch. <laughs> I bet that was quite the sight. It was very fun. All right, so, so let's talk about some movies. So let's talk about the movies. The you last, know, of, are, the last of the movies. The last of the movies. So, um, let's start off. Uh, let's start off with Top Knot Detective. Okay. I, I feel like that's a a good Fantastic Fest uh, opener. Yeah, here. So, Top Knot Detective w- was um, kind of Danger Five adjacent. Okay. So, um, dear listeners, Danger Five is uh, it's kind of like live action live action Venture Brothers. It's an Australian TV show. It was on for two seasons and very deliberately a style parody of you know first season was Thunderbirds and second season was like nineteen eighties high school movies. <laughs> Delightful. And so um, it's another Australian 
project, a different team of people, but they, they tend heavily into um, Dario Russo, who is kind of the head runner for Danger 5, yeah, yeah. for advice. And he actually shows up in Top Knot Detective. How fun. But what it is, is it's a mockumentary. It is a documentary style story of a fake TV show made in Japan. <laughs> and, and so it's uh, the, the fake TV show is uh, called in English Top Knot Detective. It had some Japanese translation to it. And it was supposedly something that was on Japanese TV in the early 1990s. And the guy who was kind of the Neil Breenish headrunner of it was this this guy who was beholden to this Japanese corporation, and this Japanese corporation was using the TV show to offload the products. And um, it, it's a really successful style parody of early '90s Japanese TV, like ah. really, really sharp. Um, it wasn't just that they were cranking things through filters in Adobe Premiere. They were actually, they said they killed five VCR machines. Because oh, they were transferring everything to actual videotape, damaging the videotape, playing it back, and getting the actual... Nice. Yeah, yeah and, and fake photos and everything. It, nice. And as they had, they said they had different teams for the different eras working on the, the style corrections. And <sighs> yeah, it... Really interesting, just from a term, terms of filmmaking and how how to make this look realistic. But it's it's comedy, it's daffy, um, like the crazy weird things are happening with the corporation and under it, it, it's it's like VH1 behind the music sort of drama. <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, I found it really really funny and really fun. Okay, I wish I'd seen it. That would yeah. have been fun. Yeah, it's super cute, and I'm sure it'll be relatively easy to get your hands on eventually probably um kind of in with that i want to talk about ron goosen's low budget stuntman (laughs) 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 so ron goosen's low budget stuntman was made by the uh the guys who made new kids turbo okay uh dutch filmmakers yeah, with Dutch. the name like Goosens, that sounds yeah, yeah. sounds right. Yeah, I think they're I think they're Dutch, if I remember right. So anyway, uh, New Kids Turbo and in the New Kids movies in previous years of Fantastic Fest went over big. They're they're foul mouth. They're inappropriate. They're really stupid and really funny. Um, the the Ron Goosens thing is same team of people. Um, I think it's a little bit more more mature work. The, the I was really interested in what they were doing where the New Kids movies, there were things that I found like legitimately inappropriate about them. Uh, not the least of which was the, you know, three times per second use of the word cunt, uh, which apparently <laughs> is used in a different way in the Netherlands. Ah, good to know. It's, it's the same slang, but it's it's more like a general term rather than a... Hustler. At least that's the way they think about it. But not a problem in this movie. Um, the plot of it is um, there's this drunkard in a small town who kind of fancies himself a stuntman. And so one day he sets up a stunt for himself 
with five of his drunk friends where he gets in a car, he flies it off of a, a, a drawbridge, and it crashes spectacularly on the other side, bursts into flames, and he just kind of saunters out of the car on flame, leaps into the canal, and merges still with his can of beer. And says, I'm so fucking drunk. And then he drinks his beer. And, you know, his buddies had filmed it and put it on YouTube, and he becomes an internet sensation. And so he gets approached to become a stuntman <laughs> because he's kind of internet famous and clearly he has absolutely no self-worth. <laughs> and so he starts getting put into films. And, well, the problem is he's um, he's deep-sixed his marriage so much through just being a, a drunkard that his wife says, I will leave you... I'm going to leave you. And he goes, please don't leave me. And she goes, well... She glances over at the TV. If you can get that woman in bed, I will stay with you. And she has just pointed to, like, the most glamorous woman in... In the entire know, country. In the entire country. And so he goes, okay. So he takes the stuntman job, and he he's it's spending the movie trying to seduce, very, very badly trying to seduce this actress. And... The interesting thing about the movie is that there are so many things about it that are setting up for like really uncomfortable tropes. Like playing alcoholism for comedy is like eh. the trying to get this woman into bed just so he can get his wife back is like, eh. and the it, there, there are so many things like that. There, there is a a really like there's one black patron of the bar that he frequents that keeps getting racist jokes thrown at him and he just laughs them off and he just kind of go, eh. <laughs> but the thing is, and, and this is the, the skill that these guys are building up is that they're setting up all these tropes and by the end of the movie, they have either subverted them or acknowledged that they're a problem. Nice. Yeah. And, and it, it's like literally this movie has like eight credit cookies on it, which is kind of spectacular. But uh, one of them is they go back to the bar and it, the the guy who's running the bar throws another, you know, really dumb racist joke at the black guy. And the black guy goes, you know, that's really racist, right? And everybody in the bar goes, oh, um, yeah, yeah. He goes, nah, I just shouldn't you. And then they all laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my God. It's like, oh, we forgot to put a button on this one. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of, it's, it's uh, it, I found it to be kind of delightful. Yeah. I, yeah, like the way you describe it, I want to see it. Yeah, I, I think you'd, you'd laugh your ass off at it. Um, the, what was I going to say? <laughs> there was a special menu for the, for that showing. The, the you know the uh -huh. you, sometimes the Alamo Draft House gives you a special menu for that has themed things on it. There was one thing on the special menu, and it was a shot of Jack Daniels. <laughs> special menu for Ron Goosens. One shot of Jack Daniels. That's all it was. I kept one. I kept one of the menus because it cracked me up so much. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, that's right. fantastic. Do you want to talk about that one or that one? Oh, uh, let's talk about World of Tomorrow. Okay, because I feel like we can we can preface this with what we did on uh, Wednesday. Yes, because Wednesday, dear listeners, we were so burnt out. This is the the penultimate day of the festival. Both of us were so freaking burnt um, from 
just the emotional labor. All the emotional labor of the week and the festival in general. I didn't even go to any movies. I on went that to Thursday. one movie. I went to roller derby. I was going to go back, and then I just went. Fuck it. I'm going to go home. And then Melissa was up, and I'm like, you know what? I haven't spent any time with my friend, and so I'm like, let's just hang out in the living room. But I quickly realized I didn't want to commit to a movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to even commit to a TV episode. And so while Melissa painted her nails, I just pulled up on YouTube Don Hertzfeld cartoons. Yeah, and we had a great time just <laughs> laughing hysterically at Don Hertz. <clears throat> excuse me, Don Hertzfeld cartoons. It was very I cathartic. Love, I love Don Hertzfeld so much. It was because they're they're weird and they're wrong and they're uncomfortable and funny and sweet and they're Awkward. everything that is best about Fantastic Fest in a tiny little package and it just allowed for some true catharsis of just okay it's okay it's it's okay everything's gonna be all right (laughs) everything's gonna be all right because that little stick figure man just tore off that other man's head (laughs) yeah and and dear listeners um something that we both discovered for the first time was on youtube right now is uh, so uh, most people have seen over and over rejected. If you Don know who Hertzfeld's, Don Hertzfeld is, you've seen rejected. My spoon is too big. That one. The uh, he was nominated for an Oscar for it. Uh, it didn't win, but it went internet famous and it's delightful. On YouTube right now, there is a copy of Rejected on Hertzfeld's account where he has added text commentary to it, and it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> It's really amazing because it starts off as a standard uh, kind of making of. Oh, this sound effect we used here. And actually this idea came from that. And like we were really trying to do this. But then... Then it kind of goes off in Hertzfeld land. Like, I really like the letter J. I'm just going to type it a lot. J. J, 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 J. J, 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 You know what's another good letter? Oh. Oh. Oh 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 oh! It's just like, what the hell is happening? So so I'll 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 try to link it in the show notes. Yeah, leave it to you to discover the rest. Yeah. Oh my God! But it was it was an actually a perfect Wednesday night that probably set up Thursday for success. Yeah. Um. But as it turns out, there was a Don Hertzfeld at the fest this year, and that was yeah yeah the World of Tomorrow episode two. World so. of Tomorrow 1 played as a short film ahead of Anomalisa. Two years ago, Two I want to say. Two years ago? Because wasn't he... Maybe it was three. It might just be one year. No, because he was, he was up for an Oscar for World of Tomorrow episode one. Well, I've only been to two Fantastic Fest before this, and I saw Anomalisa okay. at Fantastic Fest. Okay. So it can't be further back than two. Okay. Then that's what it was. And uh, so... The, the concept be- behind the original World of Tomorrow is that uh, he had uh, recorded the voice of his niece, uh, who was age five, uh, and took all of those sound recordings of her just playing and, and talking to herself and talking to people around her and wove them into a sci-fi narrative. Mm-hmm. And it's this wonderful, touching, thoughtful, weird, hysterically funny little short film mm-hmm. worth an Oscar nomination another one and so next World of Tomorrow episode 2 the niece was one year older and he got a bunch of audio from her and he 
he he said it, it's clearly not as cleanly put together as the first one like it didn't snap together you can tell it was a little bit more of a problem for him to work with the audio and he talked about that he was there because he lives in austin and uh, he talked about that a little bit after the screening of episode two. He goes, yeah, by the time I recorded her at age six, I realized that um, at age five, she was an actress. And, and at age six, she's become a writer. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the things she was saying were really off in La La Land and... She's a little bit more self-aware, and so he was... You're recording me. I'm going to say weird things just to... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so he he was saying, yeah, it was a lot harder to snap this together. It didn't come together as magically as the first one. But it was still delightful Don Hertzfeldt land. And they, they played both episodes back to back. Oh, nice. Which was really nice. So people who hadn't seen it before uh, got oh, to see the first good. one, and people... Like me, who have seen it a billion times, are like, oh, I like to see it in the big screen again. Yeah, because it is lovely. It's, it is. it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I think I need to get a tattoo of one of the quotes from the first episode. But anyway, Hertz... I'm not kidding. No, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, now is the envy of the dead, which is, I think, a, an amazing <laughs> thing. Anyway, uh, Hertz felt being there... Hertzfeld's a weird little man. He is. He is a strange, awkward, terribly cute, but... Yeah, <laughs> it's I like, like mm, you're kind of hot. But very, very odd. He got off on this weird tangent talking about the only art class he had ever made, or he had ever taken, and it was like in high school, and it was taught by the shop teacher, and the shop teacher was... It goes on this weird tangent, and it, it ultimately ends up being about the girl in his class who cut her thing, finger off in the paper cutter. <laughs> and she got sent to the nurse, and the shop teacher just took the end of the finger and like, threw it away. And I was like, you can keep... I think you can put that back on. <laughs> and it just winds up with, ends with him and say, I think that just explains a lot about my body of work. And it's just like, okay, Don, whatever. Don, Thank you. Don hurts, What the hell? What the actual hell? What the actual hell? I think you can put that back on. I think you can put that back on. No, you can't. What? I, you, you should save that. <laughs> Maybe she wants it back. It belonged to her. <laughs> she worked hard growing that. All right, so did you want to talk about... Let, let's do Professor Marston, because yeah. I, I think... I think we need to escalate to the apocalypse. Yes, <laughs> okay. I, I concur. All right, so Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. Yes. Came up at, at Fantastic Fest as one of the movies. And wow, what a movie. Okay, so dear listeners. Um, we have talked on this podcast about the history of Wonder Woman. Oh, we have. We really have. And it is uh, a long and bizarre history. So it... it during my time working in comics, um, I got a really good understanding of what that history was. I mean, the, Professor Marston um, was the guy who invented the polygraph, and he created Wonder Woman. And he was this psychology professor who worked at Radcliffe, uh, teaching young women, uh, and he was a big believer in feminism, and he, he had a thing about about dominant women and his his wife was this uh really remarkably in ingenious woman who 
was never awarded a professorship, but she was very well accomplished. And she worked alongside him in directing, in, in developing the polygraph. And they met a, a young lady they were both attracted to, and they wound up, the three of them wound up living as a, a triad. In in times like even now, that's kind of a little oh, odd. Really, really odd. But back then, that was unheard of. Uh-huh. And so they they lived as a as a trio for a long, a long, long time. And when he passed away, the two women lived together until until one of them passed away, and the the second one only passed away a few years ago, I think. Oh. And it's the, this movie. This is a weird, weird story. This is a really hard story to put into a mainstream film. Mm-hmm. And finally, there, there's this young woman who, the, the woman who directed and wrote this movie, and I'm going to completely forget her name, uh, Woman of Color. Very interesting. Ah. Uh, but she heard the story and started researching it. And she's like, I got to write this script. And she's been working on this film for like eight years. And finally, she, uh, it got underway to the point where she got hold of Luke Evans. And he had time to film the movie. And the, the whole thing kind of snapped together. And they filmed it very fast. So it's Luke Evans, Rebecca Hall. And I can't remember the, 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 the other woman in the, the relationship. And this is a very... Um, it looks, by all intents and purposes, like a uh, Academy Award bait romance movie. Mm-hmm. And it is structured as a love story. And I mean, that's kind of the, the gist that happens to tie it all together. It's all about the relationships between these three people. And then all the crazy Wonder Woman stuff and psychology stuff goes around it. And it's structured around his... Uh, or uh, Marston's theory of disc theory, which is uh, dominance, induction... Uh, submission and compliance and which is also how the Wonder Woman early Wonder Woman comics were structured in uh, portraying these like societal behaviors in in it, like the early Wonder Woman comics were teaching about his his theory of how people interact huh and it which is part of the reason why it's so hard to write for Wonder Woman because it the early ones are so weird. It's like Wonder Woman's not a character. Wonder Woman is a constant construct. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we've gotten into that before. But the movie, the movie is so good. Okay. So, so good. Um, it very clearly takes all these weird, weird aspects of this true life story and fits them all together so well. And at the core of it is this very human love story that is very unconventional. But boy, it is treated so well. Okay. And and the performances. I'm a little in love with Rebecca Hall. She is amazing. Okay. Everybody's knocking it out of the park, but Rebecca Hall is just swinging for the fences. She's so good. Okay. So good. I wasn't that excited because it looked a little too Oscar baity for me. And it looked like one of those movies where oh, look, these people, and it's all going to fall apart, and everybody's going to end up unhappy. And we know my problems with movies that I feel like are just going to be unhappy bait. Mm -hmm. And and especially my life right now, I can't Mm -hmm. handle unhappy bait. But if it's a happy bait movie, then I'm interested. It's very sweet. I'm interested. Like, it doesn't have to be happy, but I want to believe that love can can triumph. It it is is really a good, good movie. Okay. Really good. good. All right. I'm super excited to see it now. Yeah. 
so well tied together. Okay, so do with we... With a lasso of truth. Do we go... <laughs> which one do we end um, with? I'm going to go with bodied, and then we can end with end of the apocalypse. Sounds like a plan. Okay, so bodied, hands down, was my favorite of the festival. Everybody's raving about it, and I... God damn it. I, I need to see it. You need to see bodied. Wow. <laughs> it's like, I need a copy of this movie, and I need to carry it back to Minnesota. So, like the Ten Commandments. What is the premise? So the premise of bodied... On paper, it looks like, oh my god, this is going to go so wrong. But let me give you the premise. This is a movie about battle rap. And the protagonist is, is a white boy in college writing his thesis about the use of the N-word in battle rap. And so you literally the first scene is at a... A battle rap contest, a, you know, relatively small. It's like in a, uh, it, it looks like it's in a parking garage or something. And so all these people of color around, uh, flinging, the two guys in the middle, uh, flinging insults at each other. And there's the white boy and his white girlfriend. And he's narrating to her what's going on. So it's an introduction for the audience, mm-hmm. which is, you know, nice narratively. But it's, it, it also is the... <laughs> Boy, you two don't belong here. Yeah, a really good visual, like, boom. Yeah. Here's the problem. Yeah, here's the problem. Here's the white boy coming in and and passing judgment and trying to... And deconstructing and analyzing and telling you what your words mean. Ding. And he... These two white characters are uh, dyed-in-the-wool liberals, very, very liberal... uh, I, I think it's implied they're both in Berkeley or something like that. Like, super, super mega-liberal territory. And they think they're doing all the right things. And and trying to be... Allies. And, allies and, 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 and understand and, and all that. But, but on paper, you know, you read that premise, it's about this white boy who enters into the world of battle rap. And winds up... Uh, starting to crack into and be a battle rapper because he is well versed in English. He knows how to turn a phrase and he get, kind of gets thrown into a situation where it's like he just kind of snaps up to it and it's like, oh, I guess I can do this. And so he starts, He's he really loves battle raps and so he starts trying to get into contests. And so you read that as a description and go, oh God, it's a white guy narrative going into But this is a movie that is really going for the jugular of the the white liberal cobbling. Oh, among other things. Oh yeah. It it what it what it's really going after is um, this is a movie by the way that is uh, the, the the director is Asian American. Okay. Um, I want to say he's Korean. I can't remember. I, I cannot remember his name for the life of me. But he was there talking about the movie afterwards. And it's like, uh, this is the guy who made the movie Torque. Okay. Of all things, which is kind of a lampoon of the Fast and Furious yeah. movies. Long, long ago, it's women on bikes, only it's Fast and the Furious. Anyway, um, uh, he's professionally a music video director. And he's only made a couple films. But this is... His style is super, super tight. And... Uh, he 
enlisted a ton of different battle rappers to help make this movie. And a lot of them appear as themselves in the film. And the, the main gist of the movie is um, it, 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 it talks about the use of prejudices in the humor that is used in battle rap. So it's, you know, the sexism and the racism, and it's like up front and center. It is unavoidable. And, and it, that is just part of the territory of going into this world. It's, I mean, and well, they, like vilification tennis. Yeah, it's just gonna... like vilification tennis. I'm going to get into that. And, and so, you know, this white liberal boy goes in, it's like, I can't, I can't use racial, racial slurs or sex. That, that's awful. And then he tries to write around it and, it, and he finds it just doesn't work. He has to start flinging in order for it to work. He has to play in that sandbox. And so he breaks those rules and, and goes for it. And what he's learning and what he learns from the people of color that are in the movie is that it's better to just say that shit out of the open. And in a weird way, it's actually used as a shield because what is unforgivable in that world is to get personal. And so if you stick to generalizations, if you stick to the prejudices, if you lampoon that shit, um, that's funny. But going for the jugular and getting personal and actually talking about the person's real life and insulting that, that is not cool. And and that that is foreboding. And so it, there's that interesting turnabout, but there's also the uh, push and pull between the, guy, the white guy and the white guy's, the white girlfriend, um, and she's like, that is really inappropriate behavior. And, and he's, he's saying, well, how are you to judge how these people of color are choosing to express themselves in this way? And, and she's like, well, oh, you're right. <laughs> but you know, it's, there's, there is this whole lampooning of how white people have forced themselves into talking about people of color and, it's fucking hysterically funny. Like, I mean, that's the, the problem. The mental calculation. They literally are showing, like, mental calculations. Like, you see the white characters uh, in the middle of conversations, and you see words popping up by the head. It's like, and crossing them off. Is that racist? No. Colonialist? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. And and so what it, what it comes into is... Um, and this is where I'm bringing vilification tennis into it, is the, the main rule of vilification tennis is nothing's off the table for humor. Everything is fair game, because the moment you take something off the table as a subject, it's like, and the moment you say, that's not funny, that means that, well, this racist or sexist shit you said two minutes ago, is that suddenly okay? No, this shit is all offensive. All of it. All of it. All of it. So you can't remove... Anything and you off can't the table say that is, something is more offensive than something else. You have to just agree. It's all awful. It's all awful. And and there's very much that same concept going on in, in body, where uh, there it there's pushing of the envelope of of saying these really kind of these vile and sexist things, but people are laughing at it, people are getting it out of their system. It's 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 getting it out in a way and in, in, in a way it's kind of empowering. But, you know, here we are, two I'm, white liberal women well, analyzing mean, this. And, and the thing is, it's, it's, it's lampooning the un, everything. It's the undercurrent of humor and cleverness mm -hmm. that changes the context of everything that's being said. Yeah. Because if you can't be funny, if you can't be clever about how you're saying it, 
mm-hmm. then all you're saying is sexist shit. Right. Right. And there, there are really remarkable things that happen in the movie. I'm, you know, turning about uh, the humor and and uh, nobody's safe from being lampooned and the um, something I really, really like is how it resolves itself. The protagonist isn't necessarily a hero. Cool. It. I really like how it winds up that way. And and also, the, this is a movie that was produced in part by uh, a, a couple of battle rappers, including Eminem. Like, ah. Eminem was a big backer of this. Ah. And so it's like, did we just watch the Eminem story? <laughs> huh. <laughs> Wow. Which is interesting. A fascinating movie. And I can't wait to it see it. It doesn't have distributorship yet. It's like, you, well, you, you know about patty cakes, right? Yeah. Because I want to see this and patty cakes. Mm-hmm. I really want to see patty cakes. <laughs> um, okay, so, so our last movie we're going to talk about is the very first film I saw. So there I am <laughs> working my volunteer shifts. And as I'm standing there and friends are going by, Anna and the Apocalypse plays. Yes. And I had already heard buzz about it. It's a zombie musical. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and people are like, sounds delightful, I'm in. Right? Yeah. But, so what happened in, to my experience was it gets out and people are looking for me and they come walking up and they're like, Wendy, you need to see this. You need to see Anna in the Apocalypse. Except that that was the first person. The second person comes up because it's been more like an hour now. It's like, you've probably already been told this. But you need to see Anna in the Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And so, and then as it got to about a half dozen, mm-hmm. as they come up and go, you probably have already been told this, <laughs> but you need to see Anna in the Apocalypse. They're like, you're right. You're the sixth person to tell me this. <laughs> and I started keeping track and it got up to, I think, nine. <laughs> People are like, Wendy. This is the Wendy movie. You, I'm like, let me guess. I need to see Anna in the Apocalypse. So, um... The, because I had to work, it meant that I, I couldn't take advantage of being able to go to press screenings. So I had one day that I could definitely do a press screening. That was Saturday morning. Yep. And I'm like, okay, given that, I need to pick something that I absolutely must see so that it's already off the table and I don't have to worry about it mm-hmm. for the rest of the time. And you, they only show five press screenings each day. Right. They rotate. So it's based on what was scheduled. And it just so happened that one of the ones scheduled was Anne in the Apocalypse. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm getting up and I'm going to see Anne in the Apocalypse at really fucking early in the morning, like 8 a.m. Yeah. It's 8 a.m. that's when these play. Now, now before you get into this, I want to take a step back and tell you something I experienced on the day I saw it. Okay, yeah. So, so dear listeners, I am sitting, I think I was talking to Jess Cargill or Ray or somebody like that, and we're outside, we're standing outside, it's a bright sunny day, and I hear bagpipes. Yes. I hear bagpipes. I'm standing out by the road in front of the, the draft house, and we're bagpipes? And we look to our right, and coming down the street is a bagpiper in full kit, dressed as a zombie, followed by a parade of zombies, shambling their way and piping their way up the street. Like you do. To the draft house. Because. As you do. And in the apocalypse was shot in Scotland. It's yeah. a mainly Scottish cast, mm-hmm. and uh, that's delightful and hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, 
um, my experience watching it at 8 a.m. is like, so I walk in and uh, I forget who else was there, but Candace was there. there yeah, were a couple Candace of other, was. There are a couple of other people that I talked to, yeah. but Candace had shown up for the press screening as well. And there's maybe 20 people in this theater, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's probably about eight volunteers, a couple of other staff, and then some press. So 20 people, it's eight in the morning, like we're tired. Yeah. And the movie starts. And, yeah, okay. It's like instantly delightful, really. Okay, but it's when Hollywood ending plays, uh-huh. you could feel everybody just sit up and be like, I'm on board. Yeah. I am so fucking on board in this moment right now. Yes. So I say yes. So, dear listeners, what Anne in the Apocalypse is, is a zombie high school musical. It's Shaun of the Dead meets high school musical. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it is delightful. And one of the main people who developed it, who has sadly passed away and mm. never got to see it finished, was the, the guy who created uh, uh, Ryan Gosling Won't Eat His Cereal. The tumbler of Ryan Gosling Won't Eat His Cereal. All yeah. those vines. The vines. The vines. Which are hilarious. We should link to it. But anyway, yeah. um, and it has that same kind of daffy sense of humor to it. And it's it's bright. It's colorful. It's happy. It's zombies. The songs and, and, are incredibly good and catchy. Yeah. In, and they are doing the... It is a true musical. I, that's what I've been talking to people about. It's like the constructs of what it's doing is a true musical. It's not a movie with songs. The musical numbers are integral to the plot and are doing the emotional heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. Like, that is what a musical should do. And they're catchy as fuck. And the choreography is wonderful. Yes! The, choreo- the choreographer plays a, a uh, high school student who is is a lesbian. Mm-hmm. And, and she is delightful. Oh. Her comic timing is razor sharp. Yes. And it's like, I want to watch her for... I know, like she was, like every kid in that movie, I was like, I really want to see, like, I loved the lead. I loved, Mm -hmm. I loved the lead's best friend boy. He was super charming. I love, I even loved the douche bro, like. Douche bro was funny. He had, he had great comic timing. Yeah. Like I was like, oh, I bet, give him a more comic role. He would have been funny. Yeah, when he struts out with his dude bro boys in the middle of the zombie invasion and it turns into like an in sync video. (laughs) (laughs) It was so great. There it is so great. And, and dear listeners, if you think zombies have played out, no, they haven't. You yeah. have to see Anne in the Apocalypse. It is delightful beyond belief. Oh my God. It will make you so happy. And at the same time, it's doing really terrific things with characters and narrative. Like, it's not redefining anything, but like, I, I'm not giving away a whole lot. Like, her best friend is this boy she's grown up with, and he's in love with her. Mm-hmm. So. The typical thing that would happen is we'd have our friend zone storyline and probably she'd end up with him, right? Mm-hmm. Or something. Or he'd, he'd get some reward of some sort. And instead in this movie, there's a clear point where like, she directly addresses, I don't have those feelings for you. Mm-hmm. I just don't. And it's never going to happen. And he sighs and... And then they just go on mm-hmm. because thank you. Like, yeah. thank you. Thank you for like, go ahead and have that, have that happen because that's what happens between people. That's what happens between kids, especially, mm-hmm. but like, it's okay to acknowledge it. And then like, just move on and like, yeah. And like, it doesn't mean anything. Sorry. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I'm sorry, but it's not going to happen. Yeah. 
oh well and it's not like we don't get through high school without unrequited love all the goddamn time so and the dude bro who you think is kind of the bad guy you actually they do a great job of making him sympathetic Mm -hmm. like i was super surprised by him by the end Mm -hmm. um the the i would say the problematic bit is the the principal he yeah he goes but boy you can tell that actor's having a good time and he's delivering the goods on it it just they didn't quite give you enough of a reason for why he went so crazy right like you can see it's there and it's like oh if you just if you just pulled that out a little bit more if you just played it up a little bit more i feel like you could have established it and i would have been like yep i'm Mm -hmm. good with that but yeah just go see it It yeah it's it's so delightful it's so fun i'm just so happy everybody's like yay and the apocalypse yay and so listeners that was our fantastic fest. Yeah, so we end on a high note. Go watch some movies. Like, there's a lot of these movies going to come out. Like, keep your eyes out for them. They yeah. pop up. They pop up randomly on Netflix. Like, mm-hmm. I think Brand New Testament is on Netflix right now. Yeah, and and like we said, I think Wheelman's appearing real soon on Netflix itself. Gerald's Game, which neither of us saw, but it went over well with the audience, is I think is available Netflix, now. It's a Netflix original. Netflix yeah. decided. Let's let's run the circuit with these films, and then we'll pop them out on immediately after, and then people will be like, "Yeah, I want to see that." Mm-hmm. Super smart. Netflix is Netflix is crazy smart. Yeah. So anyway, we should go sing karaoke. Yes, we should. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. So, dear listeners, thank you for joining us for our little uh, tour of Fantastic Fest 2017. It was cathartic <laughs> for us. So yes. thank you, and uh, we will catch you later. Yeah. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at xanaducinema.com, follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Moment of silence. (sighs) (laughs) I don't know if the microphone can pick up the police siren, but the timing on that was gorgeous.